John chapter 2. This morning we uh, looked at the crossing, the Sea of Galilee, really the, the struggle of fear and faith. And so this afternoon I want to do a message, this is going to be more of a topical message, just, just titled The Discipline of Faith. Just kind of take a closer look at what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. I mentioned it briefly this morning, but a lot of times whenever we think about the word faith and we start to think about the topic of faith, Faith can kind of be a fuzzy word, so if I were to ask you what does it mean to have faith, you may have a good answer for it, but a lot of times you'd hear something like, well, you know, faith, it's just faith. Well, what is faith? Well, it's faith. You know, you define faith by saying faith, and then whenever we get finished, we have absolutely no idea what we were talking about to begin with, so that's not y'all necessarily, but a lot of times that's the way it turns out. We, we define a word with the same word that we're trying to define, and it gets kind of fuzzy. So I would like to kind of give a simple four-word definition, I guess, or four things that we think about or that the Bible talks about when the Bible uses the word faith, and then from there go on to talk about what the Bible encourages us to do with faith and how faith is to be used and the nature of faith and so forth. So the first one is in John chapter 2, verse 22. When we talk about faith, we're going to define it with four words. The four words are, are all translated out of the same Greek word that we have for the word faith. John chapter 2, verse 22, and I'm just breaking into the context here. It says, When therefore he was risen, that's Christ was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Our word in that verse uh, that is translated faith is believed. That's our word. The word for believed there is the word that is also translated faith in a lot of other scriptures. As a matter of fact, it was the word that we translated, or not we, but that the King James folks translated faith in Mark chapter 4 this morning. So belief, to believe something is to have faith in something. You, you embrace it. You believe it. In Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, Paul is beginning his letter, and I'm going to just jump into verse 5, speaking of Jesus, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. And then I want to skip down to verse 8. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So, faith is spoken of a couple of times in this, but, but one aspect of faith, or one of the ways that we are going to define faith, is obedience. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. A lot of times, especially, I say especially, I don't know how long it's been going on, but a lot of times we hear the idea of faith as being this private, personal thing that, that, that you know, you can't really put your finger on it and it's not really visible and, and it's just, you know, something that is between you and God and no one else. Well, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about anything like that. That's not faith. Uh, faith produces obedience. And so where faith is present, where belief is present, obedience is present with it. So obedience is something we need to think about when we're thinking about faith. You don't really believe something if you're not willing to act upon it. So I know if I were to step out here in the road, if there were a semi-truck coming, I have faith in the fact that it would squish me. And you can tell that by the fact that I'm not going to go step out in front of the semi-truck. I know what's going to happen. I have a strong belief in that. So I'm going to obey what I think about that and stay away. Mark chapter 4, verse 40, we read that already where Jesus says, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And the sense that he's speaking of there is trust. 
So whenever we're thinking about faith, especially when we're thinking about faith in God, but faith in general, just to take it out of a fuzzy term, it's trust. You trust someone. You trust something. Belief, obedience, trust. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, says, Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Faith and hope might be in God. So that if your faith is in God, then your hope is going to be in God. Your faith produces hope. Hope comes along with faith. And when we're speaking about hope, we're not talking about a wish, but we're talking about I'm confident that this is going to happen. Hope always has to do with an expectation. I'm expecting this to happen. You've heard the definition confident expectation. It means with, as far as God goes, as far as, as, as uh, how God is going to work, I'm expecting God to do this because God said He was going to do this. So I'm confident that God is going to do what He said He was going to do. So if I believe something and I'm expecting something and I'm obeying something and I'm trusting something, well, then I'm exercising faith in something. Uh, you, and, and we're doing that. It's not all of those always at the same time, but those are the components and some clear uh, words and maybe some clear pictures of what we're talking about when we're having or exercising faith. So we're exercising belief. We're acting upon that. We're trusting in what God is saying, and we're expecting what God says or what it is that we're trusting in is going to come to pass because God said it. So as we're there, I just want to also say, just to, for the foundation of all of this, that your faith is only as, is, is only as good as the object in whom you have your faith in. So if, if I were to say, you know, you guys can trust me, you know, uh, let me make some sound investments for you, you know, with the church, you know, financially, I could really get you guys up and going and you could really expand on what you have going here and I've, I don't know a thing in the world about the stock market. Uh, I don't. So if you had any faith in me, if you believed me, if you obeyed me by giving you your money, if you had any expectation that you were going to receive any return at all, it would be worth zip because I don't have anything. I don't know what to tell you about that stuff. Uh, I could pretend and I could act confident about it, but really whenever it comes down to it, the results you would receive from me would not be consistent with the claims that I would make about what I could do with your money. So that faith would not be worth anything. But if the results that you receive from God are consistent with the promises that come from God, well, then that's where faith is worth something. So it's not that faith is something in and of itself, but the object of your faith is what you're looking toward. It's not that you want to be so focused on your faith that you lose everything else, but it's that your faith is in God so that the more your focus is on God, the stronger your faith becomes. It's not the more you focus on your faith, the stronger your faith becomes. You're looking at the object of your faith. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Just a couple of basics about faith here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So a basic teaching that we get out of this is that faith is a gift from God. No one receives faith. No one receives the ability to trust in God uh, on their own. Nobody receives that by making a personal decision. No one receives that any other way but a direct gift from God. So we've said this already, but what that means is we do not produce our own faith. We can't produce our own faith. It's impossible for us to produce our own faith. We would not believe, trust, obey, or hope in someone that we are naturally rebellious to or someone that we naturally hate. There's no way we would do that. 
there are people out there that you don't trust and they've probably burned you before and it's not a natural thing for you to decide to open up and put your hope, trust, belief, and obedience into what they have to say. Well, if we believe in total depravity, there's absolutely no way we would do any of this stuff toward God were it not for a divine, I don't want to even say the encounter, but a divine blessing, God giving us that ability to exercise faith. So faith is a gift from God. It's not anything that we muster up. But in Galatians chapter 5, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, familiar passage for us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And I'm just going to stop there. We can keep going. You're familiar with the fruits of the Spirit. And the picture there that, they're, they're, that Paul's painting or that God's painting is, you know, that which the Spirit produces. I mean, the fruit of an apple tree is an apple because an apple tree produces apples. So the fruit of the Spirit is that which the Spirit produces in our lives. Uh, you know, not all apple trees produce good apples. I've got several, uh, two apple trees at my house, and we've been there for five or six years, and we have never been able to eat any of those apples off that tree. And the reason is because I don't do anything with it. If it were up to me, we would have burned those trees long ago. My father-in-law would have cut them down, and we would have made a pile and burned them. But uh, my wife likes them, so we still have them. But if we wanted those things to be productive, I would need to go out and prune those things down, cut a lot of the limbs off. I would need to fertilize it. I would need to do more than what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything with them. They have the ability to bring forth good apples. But they're not bringing forth anything right now. What they bring forth or what they produce, the fruit of that tree, is worthless. There's nothing really happening uh, because there's not a lot of attention being given to those trees. Well, I want you to know that, that, that number one, uh, whenever Paul tells us here in Galatians 5.22 about the fruit to the Spirit, he's saying that as the Spirit comes, he produces this in the lives of his people so that we have the ability to be fruitful in these areas. Faith is a gift from God. He's given it to you. Now you have the ability to exercise faith. So like that apple tree, if you don't really do anything in your life around the areas of, well, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, you know, it's, it's not automatic. You've known, you know that by now, right? How many people in here are naturally inclined to be impatient when you don't get your way? We put that down, right? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> we have the ability... But that's not always or ever our natural inclination. You've got to exercise that. You've got to try and put what uh, what Peter would call a uh, 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 he would say to uh, uh, pursue earnestly to give all diligence. That's what he would say to give all diligence to these things, my brother. And that's what he would say in Second in, uh, Peter chapter one as he went down through the uh, list of what it means to add to your faith and growing in grace and those sorts of things. So. All diligence really means, if we were to, to, to take the definitions there, is to give an agonizing effort to add all these things to what we're doing. So out of Galatians 5.22, I just want to hit the fact that we as Christians, if you're born of the Spirit, you have the ability to exercise faith. There's no such thing as a situation in your life if the Holy Spirit lives in you to where it is impossible for you to exercise faith. And that's really good news. I mean, that's pretty encouraging that there's nothing that's so overwhelming that we get to a point to where we say, it was impossible here. There's no way I could have exercised faith here. There's no way. And so the, really, whenever we talk about that, then uh, what I'm 
what we're saying is there's never a situation to where we are not able to exercise obedience. There's never a situation that will be able to drown out our ability to believe God. There's never a situation that would be able to drown out our ability to trust in God or to expect God to be God if we are exercising our faith. And we're going to get more specific about what I mean by that because that can be just as fuzzy as just talking about plain old just saying faith. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 12, Paul encourages Timothy here, and he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. As Paul's writing to Timothy, his exhortation here is, And again, remember who Timothy is. I mean, we know that Timothy was timid. We know that he was fearful, all those things. But really, Timothy was Paul's number one guy as far as who who if he had to choose anyone, he would say, there's no one like Timothy. I have no one like Timothy. I'm sending him to you. So Timothy was was a man that, that was a godly man, a man that Paul put much confidence in. And yet, as he's writing to Timothy here in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. And so I just want to encourage you, faith is going to be a fight. If Timothy had to fight for faith, you're going to have to fight for faith too. It's just like patience. It's not going to be your natural reaction. It's not going to be the first thing you think about. You're not going to be more than likely, uh, and certainly not consistently, overwhelmed with fuzzy feelings of faith whenever you're faced with a difficult situation. You're going to have to fight the fight of faith. It will be a struggle at times. And the reason I say that is because so many times we get the idea that one of these days I'm going to grow and I'm going to reach this point to where I no longer have um, doubts or maybe I no longer have difficulties embracing God's promises. And I just want to say that no one will ever accidentally exercise faith. You'll never do that on accident. You will have to try to do it every time. It's never just going to surprise you and pop up out of thin air. It'll have to be intentional, and it'll have to be something that you give a strong effort to. And when I talk about faith and I talk about this, I always like to, to kind of make a distinction. Sometimes we talk about, and in its place, there's a, it's, it's right to say it, but sometimes we talk about the difference between you know, head knowledge and, and heart knowledge. Everybody in here has heard that, or at least something around that? And it's accurate to talk about that when you're talking about someone being regenerated, you know, whenever you're talking about something that may have just been if you're a churchgoer and you're, you're uh, uh, going to church all your life and you've got all this Bible knowledge in your head, but you really can't do anything with it because you have no ability to please God because you're in the flesh. Well, whenever God gives you a spirit, then in a real way, he gives you a new heart. And so a lot of that knowledge can go from your head to your heart, if that's even the way we would even say that in, in the way it works. But if we think about head knowledge and heart knowledge, the way it's explained sometimes as if one of these days, as a born-again Christian, one of these days I will reach the point of maturity to where all these facts I have in my head will find the slip and slide down to my heart and I will no longer have to struggle to believe these things. It will be a once and for all event and no more will I have to struggle to exercise faith in this area. If we're waiting on that time to happen, I'm telling you, we're going to be waiting until the day we die because it's not a biblical idea. The idea is not that faith will one day be effortless. The idea is not that one of these days you will just automatically, um, while you're on earth, that you will just automatically, without any intentionality to it, be okay on your own. We will have to fight against 
Well, the wiles of the devil. We're going to have to fight against our own wild ideas that we come up with ourselves. We're going to have to fight to embrace God's Word. We're going to have to continue to press into the kingdom, press in to put ourselves under the rule and the reign of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to get another thing about faith here. So while we say that, you know, the, the head heart knowledge thing, and again, the idea there is that faith will never be on autopilot for you. Uh, it will never be on autopilot for me, at least while we're here, while we're on the earth. In Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, of God, beloved, your election of God. Okay, so as he as as Paul is writing, wait a minute, I'm in First Thessalonians. Sorry, Second Thessalonians, chapter one, verse three. Try it again. We are bound to give thank. I'm sorry. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, as Paul begins to give thanks to God, there's a reason that he's giving thanks to God. And he says, it's meet to do this. It's consistent to do this. It's appropriate to do this. And the reason is, is because your faith groweth exceedingly. Our faith, your faith, if you're born of the Spirit, your faith, the faith of a regenerate person, has the ability to grow. You have the ability to grow in the way that you exercise faith, or at least the faith that God has placed you, the ability that God has given you, has the uh, potential to grow. But once again, I want to encourage you with, uh, when I say encouraging, I guess I, uh, I just want to tell you uh, that this does not happen automatic. Whenever we sit down and talk to someone that's uh, joining uh, the church or someone that wants to be baptized, uh, we had a, a young guy, was, I, I do this with all of them now, but particularly there was a young guy that came and he was 13 or 14 and, and uh and so one of the things that I wanted to tell him and make sure that he understood was, his name is McCain. I said, McCain, it's possible that one of these days, uh, let's say you're 14 now, whenever you're 21, you know, you're going to look back and, and we're going to look at you and you're not going to look anything like you look right now. I mean, we'll be able to say, look, that's little McCain at 14. But when you're 20, there's going to be a lot of changes that go on. I don't look the same like I, that I did when I was 15. You know how much effort I had to put into that? None. I just woke up and kept being me. And then one of these days, 15, later, 15 years later, here I am. 17 years later, here I am. I'm 32. I put no effort into what I look like. I put no effort into my growth. I mean, physically, I'm talking about. I just did it. It was just automatic. And I said, McCain, it's not going to be that way for you spiritually. It will be possible for you to be 15 years down the road and still look exactly like you look right now in the inward man. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's true. It's impossible. I mean, it is possible for you to have been a believer for 15, 20 years and spiritually look the same way you looked as an infant. All that to say, it takes effort. It takes effort. Whenever I was 10, I took karate with my brothers. Well, I'm 32 now, 22 years later. I have the same karate abilities that I had back then. Not very many. It did nothing for me to gain age. My abilities are still the same. I know almost nothing about it. It's the same way spiritually. Without effort, you do not grow. You have the ability to grow, but without effort, you won't do it. In Romans chapter 10, we get some more specifics, or we get a little more specific on how it is that we do grow. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Belief comes by hearing. Obedience comes by hearing. Trust comes by hearing. Hope comes by hearing. And it's hearing the Word of God that produces this, that grows this in an individual. So that if you want your faith to grow... It grows through God's Word. God's Spirit uses God's Word to grow and mature Christians. And, you know, a lot of times I I bring this thing up and I'm kind of preaching to the choir because I don't think anybody here would would say this, but so many times whenever we think about what it means to be a Christian, uh, cultural-wise, people get so wrapped up into all kinds of silly things that aren't necessarily bad, but I can't. I don't know how many texts I've gotten over the last month that say God's not dead. You know, because the movie God. And I'm not against that movie. I'm glad they're doing it. I guess or whatever. But I didn't need that movie to know that God's not dead. I've had my Bible for 32 years. I didn't need. People get excited about that sort of thing. People uh, uh, kind of feel like they're getting a real spiritual boost from something like that. I don't need a little kid that died to let me know that heaven is for real. I knew that already. The Bible tells me a lot more than a dream that may or may not be reliable. And again. I don't say that to try to discredit what happened with this little boy. I don't know what happened with this little boy, but I do know that what I have here is on the authoritative scale way, way up here to something that happened with somebody that's just like me, you know, a little younger than me maybe. That may seem like kind of a silly example to you, but people feel like when they go to those sorts of things, they kind of get emotionally worked up and they say, well, yeah, you know, that kid, if he could convince his atheist uh, uh, professor that God was real and, you know, God's not dead. And Listen, that's, again, I don't want to rain on a parade or whatever. If whatever good it does, I'm glad it does. But most of that is falling on shallow ground. Your faith does not grow through excitement and entertainment and, 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 and spurts of adrenaline that you might receive from, and again, you'll have to forgive me if I'm overstating this, but silliness. Your faith grows as you grow and mature and understand what God has to say to you through His Word. Through His Word. Faith comes through hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Now, with that being said, in Romans chapter 5, we get a really important, and it's not just in Romans chapter 5, but we get a really important truth. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul makes a really important statement about faith. It says that we have access by faith into what? You've got your Bibles. You can say it. Grace. Grace. Faith is a gift from God. God has given us faith, but He says it is by this faith that He has given us access to grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, some people start squirming when you start talking like that, like uh, faith is a prerequisite to uh, grace and, and, and all that. Well, listen, it's all given to us of grace. Every bit of it is given to us of grace. But He says here that access to grace is given to us by faith, through faith. And so the picture is, if just in our regular daily life, and you may not be able to see this, but I'm going to do my best. If this is us, and this is grace, the way we receive this grace, and this is supposed to be a funnel, grace comes down through faith to us. 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Here's what I mean whenever I say that. How in the world would you ever receive grace from one of God's promises if you didn't have the ability to believe it? I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. Peace is grace, isn't it? I mean, can't, we can, peace is a grace. It's not something that we say is just some common thing. Peace is a grace that comes from God. If we can't hope in God's promises, we will not have peace. If we can't, if we can't come to God's word with our problems, or we can't come to God's word with our just our regular old life, and 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 receive a word from God, receive a promise from God, be built up through the word, there's a lot of grace here available to us if by faith we come and access that grace. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but this is grace. It really is. This is grace. And as we find ourselves just in everyday life, I'm going to tell you that the more of God's Word that we're understanding, the more of God's Word that we're able to apply to our lives, the more of God's Word that we're using to uh, uh, interpret our circumstances, is the more of God's grace that we are partaking of on a daily basis. It's not like God's being stingy and saying, here, you have more, you have more, you have more, you have more. It's God saying, here you go, you've got the tools that you need. The more you understand, the, the, the more you're going the more you're going to experience the peace that comes from me. The more wisdom you have, the wiser you will be. I mean, that makes sense, right? The more wisdom you have, the wiser you will be. Well, wisdom is a grace from God. Wisdom is completely unnatural to us. But as God reveals His wisdom to us, the more that we embrace that, the more benefit that we have from that. That's called grace. It's called grace. So faith. Belief, obedience, hope, trust give us access to grace. In Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, as uh, Paul goes through the, uh, all the armor here, he says in verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So Paul here speaks about a defensive weapon here, a shield, and he he draws a parallel with faith. So that faith ought to be our, a defensive weapon for us. Now the type of shield that he's speaking about here that was common back in Paul's day, when he's speaking about quenching the fiery darts of the devil, they would take a shield and they would overlay it with some kind of an animal skin. And right before they would go to war, they would drench that animal skin in a, in a a not a pond, but like a... a little trench full of water. They would have that trench filled up with water and they would drench that shield that was full of animal skin. And so as they would shoot these fiery arrows at them, it would hit the shield that would be drenched in water and that water would, would, would come down and quench that fiery arrow. Were it not for that shield, they were defenseless. They wouldn't have anything. I mean, what do you do with fiery arrows flying all around you? Even if you just had a regular old shield, it's going to burn up after you get two or three in there. But he says, listen, that's the same way with your faith. It's the same way with faith. Let faith be, or faith should be, a defensive weapon for you. And, and the other truth is here uh, is that uh, the fiery darts of the wicked, or at least the attacks of the wicked, uh, are real. So, whenever we talk about faith and we're thinking about belief, hope, trust, and all those things, you know, part of the thing that we, we ought to be believing, part of the thing that we ought to be trusting in, is that in, 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 not in some fantasy world, but in the world that we live in right now, we are being assaulted on a daily basis. We really are. We're being assaulted on a daily basis. Our minds are being assaulted on a daily basis. Satan knows how to assault our minds. He knows how to pick us apart. He knows how to, how to put little thoughts in there 
but not just that. Our culture knows how to, how to assault us. All you got to do is look at a few billboards on your way down the road to figure that out. All you got to do is turn the radio on to figure that out. Uh, all you got to do is flip on the TV to figure that out. He says, use your faith as a shield to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. If you didn't have the shield that they were speaking of here, eventually those fiery darts would consume that whole shield. So let me ask you this. Whenever we find ourselves in spiritual warfare, which we are in on a daily basis, whether we are engaged or not, or realize it or not, what are we going to do whenever we begin to convince ourselves that this stuff, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard some variation of this. I believe the Bible. I believe what God says is true. I'm just not so sure that it's true for me. And when I say that, I'm not talking about somebody with a rebellious spirit. I'm talking about somebody who feels like they've been completely defeated. Somebody who's either caught in a sin or somebody who's just in despair. And as I believe all this stuff, I just don't believe it is for me. I don't know that it's true for me. I'm going to tell you, when you find yourself in a situation like that, you need to get your shield of faith. And you know what the shield of faith is? It's just the promises of God. I will not leave you and forsake you. No matter what it looks like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I am, I am your, God is my shepherd. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the promises that God makes in His Word, we need to keep on the forefront of our mind. You say, well, you know what? It sounds like you're just kind of burying your head in the sand. And you could see it that way. Only God's promises are not sand, they're reality. So I'm going to encourage you to bury your head inside a reality so that when the sand starts coming in, you don't get so consumed with what things look like that you forget what actually is. That's the shield of faith. Uh, and again, after that description, you know as well as I know, that doesn't happen in one second. You don't get yourself in despair and then decide, okay, well, now I'm going to start exercising faith. That's a process that's built and built and built and built, and that's how your faith grows. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, I've got one more verse after this, and I'm done. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy in verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul calls Timothy here to be an example to the believers. He says, Do not let them despise your youth, but rather, instead of them doing this, this is how it will go the other way, you be an example of the believers. And one of the things that are one of the categories that he says that Timothy ought to be an example in is in faith. And I say that, again, to make the point that while faith is personal, it is not private. Faith is not some invisible thing that may or may not happen. Faith is not something that just abides in you to where you close your eyes, look up at God, shake your head with a little grin, and you have been visited by faith. That's not faith. That's silliness. Faith is, is, is a visible thing. Faith is, is something that uh, Paul says, Timothy, you be an example of this. You be an example of one who trusts God. You be an example of one who obeys God. You be an example of one who hopes in God. You be an example of one who believes God. And they will not despise your youth. It's visible. And then in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, or it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Two things here. The first one is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is not possible. It cannot be done. You cannot please God without faith. You cannot please God without exercising faith. And so two things that he gives. The first one is you must believe that he is. If you believe that he is, you believe that he is present. And the second thing is you must believe that he will reward those who diligently seek him. These are components, I guess, of faith, how one 
thinks and acts whenever faith is present. So, uh, faith believes that God is, and then faith also believes that God will reward those who diligently seek Him. So, I guess the last question I want to ask, in light of that last statement, what do you think someone does who believes that God will reward those who diligently seek Him? Well, it only makes sense that if you believed God would reward you, if you diligently sought Him, then you would diligently seek Him, right? It's faith, fueling faith, fueling faith, fueling faith, fueling faith. I believe that God is. I believe that He will reward those who diligently seek Him. As I come to God in faith and diligently seek Him, I am confident in, I am trusting in, I am believing in, and I am obeying the fact that God says He will reward me if I seek Him diligently. It will not be a waste of time. It may not be the reward that I think is going to happen, or it may not be what I'm expecting to happen, but God will reward me because He said He would reward me as I diligently seek Him. He will reveal Himself more and more to me. He will bless me to be able to lay hold on more and more of His promises. I will find His comfort in times of trouble, so forth and so on. So, as, I, as we think about faith and the discipline of faith, and I like to call it the discipline of faith because really that's what it is, uh, I just want to encourage you that faith is something that if you're if you're a Christian, faith is something that you have the ability to exercise. And then I just want to encourage you to exercise it. Exercise it. You know how much I can bench press? Not much. You know why? Because I don't do it that much. I don't. I'm pretty weak. My faith is going to be as strong as really as strong as I use it. That makes uh, there's probably a better way of saying that. But as much as to the extent that I use my faith, that's about as strong as it's going to be. So that if I never use it, and I'm expecting God to automatically zap me with something to where I wake up one day and I've got superpowers, it just doesn't work that way. It's never even it's never even been explained that way biblically. But a lot of times we have that sort of uh, sort of idea about faith. So I don't say that as being condescending. I say that in the sense that we all uh, at least have the potential and probably the tendency. Uh, to live as if we might grow in our faith on accident. It doesn't happen. So I want to encourage you, God does reward those who diligently seek Him. So I want to encourage you to diligently seek God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of faith, and then we thank You, Lord, for the uh, just the instructions that You've given us in Your Word concerning faith, uh, that You've given it to us that we would have access to Your grace. Uh, that you've given it to us and that it would be uh, strengthened and that it would grow through the hearing of your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bless our our, uh, our lives, bless us to be diligent uh, in seeking you, bless us to be diligent in storing up your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Uh, bless us with understanding uh, and bless us, Lord, as we, on, on our side of things, as we uh, do what you've called us to do, uh, would you do what you said you would do? And bless us to grow, not so that we would be some uh, impressive uh, something, but that so we would learn more about you and that we'd be able to live uh, under your rule and under your reign. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.